And another reminder that Anchor is the easiest way to make a podcast. It gives you everything you need in one place, and it's free. You can use it right from your phone or your computer. They have creation tools, so you can record and edit your podcast so it sounds great. And they'll distribute your podcast for free. So you can hear it on Spotify, Apple, Google, and many more. Just like us here at BraveMaker. Make money from your podcast with no minimum listenership. So download the Anchor app today and go to anchor.fm to get started. Thanks to our sponsors. Now back to the show. Stories, scripts, and conversations with creators. This is the Brave Maker Podcast. Hey, it's me, Tony Gapastone. I'm alone. I'm solo in the Brave Maker headquarters today doing this introduction. I am missing Rebecca Amosa. She has been not feeling very well lately, and so she is taking some time to do some resting. And I am going to do a quick intro here because we got a great guest. Before I do that, I need to tell you a quick story. I am so surprised sometimes with how uh, provision comes for our little nonprofit here. Uh, we work really hard to try to write grants, uh, which we get a lot of rejection or we get a lot of rejections for. I work really hard trying to make partners and find the right fits for different organizations, which have been great so far. Almost every month, we've had a really fantastic partner. Our last partner was Caltrain for suicide prevention and mental health with the Edge of Success at the Fox Theater, which was a really great turnout and conversation. So grateful for the people that turn up. And it's really just happening month to month. Like I can't even tell you, I don't know really who our partner is going to be in October. Uh, the San Mateo County Pride Center is joining us, but we don't have a financial partner yet. So I'm still looking for how that's going to work out and just trusting that it does. But uh, one really cool story I want to share is a personal individual. We've got about 15 now individuals who give on a regular basis which is so great. We need to get um, a bunch more. So if you can give 25, 50, 100 bucks a month, or my goal, my dream is to have five people who can give $5,000 or five people who can give $1,000 a month to bring in 5,000 a month. If that's you, please let me know. But this one woman, I'm not going to share her name because she's just so humble and awesome. She is like working really, really hard. She's a single mom. She drives and commutes long to her to her job, and she's been super generous and faithful just to attend our gatherings. And I know that you know things are not easily met in her own finances, but she approached me last uh, week or two and said, hey, I'm going to start giving on a regular basis, and I believe in this work. It's impacted my life, and I, know I want to do it. And I like, really got choked up in, in, in emotional because I thought, yeah, I almost want to tell her, don't, don't, you need to keep that money for yourself. But she and her sacrifice is allowing us to do this work of supporting filmmakers and having these important conversations. We need to talk about race and sexuality and gender equality. And we need to have these brave stories and support women and people of color in the arts. It's just really important. So Thank you for those who give uh, out of your abundance and those who give out of sacrifice. Uh, can I ask you to please consider becoming a monthly donor to us? It's a nonprofit. It's all tax deductible. You can go to our website. It's bravemaker.com 
org and just click on the donate button. Uh, we can't do it without you. So thanks so much. Hope you'll uh, enjoy this conversation with filmmaker Daniel Carslake. And I did make a mistake. He was not our first uh, podcast interview abroad because Rebecca spent time in Spain interviewing her friends and fashion designers and creatives and YouTubers there. But he was my first interview with someone who was not in the States. So enjoy. Brave stories change the world. You are the story. Hey, everybody. Welcome to the Brave Maker podcast. I have a, it's our first time ever, um, podcaster from abroad, <laughs> someone who's not living in the United States. Although Daniel is a United States citizen, he's living in Berlin, Germany. So welcome to the podcast, Daniel Karslake. Thank you. I'm happy to be here all the way from Berlin. Right on. So Daniel and I met at the LGBT Frameline Film Festival in San Francisco uh, this summer. Our programmer, Robertino Delgado, said, we got to go see this film he took a team of us from Brave Maker and we saw For They Know Not What They Do and we all knew we needed to bring this to Brave Maker because it's a perfect fit for what we're about. So I wanted to get to know you a little bit. Tell us about yourself. Yeah. I'm first of all, I'm super honored to be coming uh, coming there and being part of Brave Maker. I've read a lot about the festival and it'll be really cool to be part of it. Uh, yeah, so I live in Berlin with my husband. We've been here about five years. As you said, I am American. He is also American. We came here for his job. It was supposed to be just a two-year uh, gig, but uh, it's extended, and we bought an apartment, and we're staying. We really love it here. So uh, it makes it a little harder for me as a filmmaker, especially since most of my films are U.S.-based, uh, but it's worth it because Germany is an amazing society, super interesting place, and uh, just great to have an, a different experience from living in the States. That's cool. What does he do? Uh, <laughs> he used to be an actor, so it was really easy to say he's an actor and have everybody sort of understand that. Now he does something with like computers and, and real estate and multinational corporations. He's a computer genius person, <laughs> so he's got both sides of his brain working, which is pretty impressive. But honestly, I don't fully understand exactly what he does, except it's something about like giving multinationals a way to, via computers, control all of their real estate around the world. Sounds like he's like a, a movie, like a, a, a German a guy living in Germany who's a computer genius who's doing things you that are kind of mysterious. Okay, all right, we get it. <laughs> yeah. That's awesome. I don't think it's that mysterious. I just don't think I can explain it yeah, very well. I gotcha. <laughs> Better. That's awesome. I get it. Uh, so let's talk about your film and why For They Know Not What They Do uh, needs to be out in the world today. All right. Well, um, this film is actually kind of a follow-up to my first film. Uh, that film is called For the Bible Tells Me So. I like really long biblical titles. That Great start titles. With I love um, it. Great titles. <laughs> that film premiered at Sundance in 2007. And uh, is kind of similar in a way in, it, in the way that it's built. It's about that film, the earlier film, For the Bible Tells Me So, is about five Christian parents, uh, Christian sets of parents 
who are very religious, but also find out they have a gay or lesbian child. And um, that movie's had an amazing life. It continues to have an amazing life. It's in 23 languages now, uh, the latest one being Japanese, just like a year ago, December. I was in Tokyo for that premiere, like 10 years after the film was released. So I'm really proud of that movie. Uh, I didn't think I would make another film about this issue. Uh, there are a lot of things I care about, um, this being one of them. But uh, in t- 2015, uh, while we were living here in Berlin, I started getting death threats again through the For the Bible Tells Me So website. I got a lot of them when I first uh, made that film, but they really had fallen off. I had really not gotten not gotten anything threatening for eight or nine years, but I started getting threats again through the website, which I thought was very strange. I said to my husband, um, what's happening in the U.S. right now to empower people to threaten me for this film that's been out for so long? And if they're threatening me, what's happening to kids on playgrounds and in high school hallways and in college? Um, what's happening to them if people are threatening me as the filmmaker of this old film. So I started paying attention again to what was happening in the U S um, marriage equality had just happened a couple months before. Uh, and that was a huge deal for the LGBTQ community and, um, really exciting. But I was starting to realize that that was kind of the last straw for a lot of conservatives. And they had taken sort of the fight against LGBTQ rights to the States. And they were still, Um, Not only using the Bible, but they have also started using the U.S. Constitution, the, um, you know, the the freedom of religious, the freedom of religion part of the Constitution to say that it's 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 a conservative Christian's religious freedom to legally discriminate or should be their religious freedom to legally discriminate. So that started really um, bothering me. And, and I knew I had left a number of things undone with, for the Bible, I hadn't really touched the transgender issue. And I was seeing that conservatives had really targeted transgender people and the parents of transgender kids, especially. So that was bothering me. And, uh, I, it, all of that came together and just made me decide to make a follow-up and deal with those new issues. I also had seen that conversion therapy in the U.S., even though Exodus International had closed its doors and had said, we are closing our doors because we know that conversion therapy does not work. This coming from the largest global conversion therapy ministry in the world, uh, and you would have think that you would have thought that that meant the end of conversion therapy, but actually, uh, two other ministries have grown up in its in its place, and they are now virtually bigger than um, Exodus was. So that concerns me greatly too, because I believe that conversion therapy is like handing a loaded gun to the gay or trans or bisexual kid, because it's a direct and clear violation of their human rights. And when you're a child, you don't know even how to defend that. So that's why I decided to make the film. And for a listener who doesn't know what conversion therapy is, can you explain that? Sure. Conversion therapy is the belief that sexual orientation is not something that is innate, that it is something that is changeable. And most conversion therapy ministries, uh, say that if you find Jesus, uh, he will lead you to a heterosexual life. Uh, And there are a lot of kids who 
who are grew up in Christian homes, who love Christ themselves and want to believe that. And when they're told that by the people, the adults around them, they think that is something that is uh, possible. But what they find is that they don't change. And so they become convinced that both their families don't love them and God doesn't love them because if God loved them, he would change them. And there's nothing more toxic for a young faithful child, no matter whether they're gay, lesbian, bisexual, or transgender, or even just questioning, than that messaging. So that's what I mean about, it's just a pathway to suicide. And a lot of these parents who elect to put their kids in conversion therapy really don't realize that. They really honestly think their kids can change. But I know that I was created by God to be who I am. I am a gay man. I, I, I think the great sacrilege is would be for me to not honor who God made me to be. So my the my intersection of brave maker and faith is really unique and it really aligns with kind of this story you're telling here. That's why I think it's so important. Uh I am a filmmaker, but I'm also a pastor. Uh, I work with a church and I've been doing so for 20 some years and the, uh you know learning about trans people has been the next thing that I know for me, I want to learn to understand. I really felt like your film does a lot for that. So I'm excited to be able to share that and have some discussion around it. And I guess I'm curious for you, as it sounds like, you know, you have uh, obviously a definition of, or an understanding and acceptance of your identity, uh, sexual orientation, but can you talk a little bit about your interaction with religion like what was it like for you growing up why is this so important to you to get these stories out of the world i'm assuming because you have a very strong faith or maybe you had some experiences in the past that really helped dictate that direction for you yeah absolutely i grew up in uh, a protestant home uh we moved a lot when i was little my dad was a salesman and so every couple years we moved and my memory is that every time we moved the first thing my parents did was find our new church home. Uh, they weren't necessarily uh, denominationally linked. They believed that um, whether we were in a Presbyterian or a Lutheran or a Methodist or an Episcopal church, um, they wanted to be in a church that was putting its faith into action. They were looking at what churches in the new town we moved to were doing outside of their own walls to spread the word of Christ and, and be sort of live uh, in their faith. So that's how I grew up. That's what I knew. I went, I ended up going to Duke University as an undergrad. And I think the first thing I did when I got to Duke as a freshman is I went straight to the chapel and signed up to be a chapel usher because I knew that this was going to be a very social, fun school. There was going to, you know, I was going to start sort of experiencing what it was to party and do all that stuff. But I wanted to be in church every Sunday. Uh, and I did that all four years. And that was a really important thing for me uh, and, and continues to be. I, when I, before I started making films, I worked for a large cathedral church in New York. I was on the senior staff of a cathedral called the Riverside Church, um, which was built by Rockefeller to really serve that area, which is Harlem and northern Manhattan. And it was also something that really fed my faith, fed my soul. So when I left Riverside to make For the Bible Tells Me So, it just sort of felt like the continuation of my own ministry. Um, I know when I came out to my parents, uh, there, there was a lot of talk about the Bible. 
uh, and a lot of talk about um, the fact that Duke University is in North Carolina. And when I was in school, the most anti-gay uh, senator really that's ever been, Jesse Helms, was the senator from North Carolina. My father supported him financially. So it was a very difficult coming out process. Uh, but my parents, like so many parents, um, were able to grow and were able to educate themselves. Uh, and, and luckily, they've come full circle and are now doing Q&As with this movie and did a lot of Q&As with For the Bible. So, um, yeah, it's definitely something in my life. You know, when people sit, tell you in film school, you know, make what you know, this is what I know. So this is also why I've come back to this issue, because I, I find it so tragic that so many LGBTQ people turn their backs completely on God, completely on the church because they feel so wounded and so rejected. And uh, I, I, if you can't be your authentic self in church, where can you be your authentic self? So um, one of my greatest rewards with, for the Bible was taking it through the Bible Belt and hearing people endlessly tell me that it made them kind of want to go back to church and give it another try. They had no idea that gay or lesbian Christians existed. Uh, I also heard things like, wow, I didn't know a good Christian parent, a good Christian family could have a gay child. Mm. There's just so much ignorance and so much um, misunderstanding. So it's definitely part of sort of my, my mission or my ministry to just put these movies out there to have a conversation and let people use them to start talking about these issues that for so many families are so difficult. I applaud you for doing it, and obviously at the expense of your own safety. I mean, it, the fact that you were getting death threats is so concerning to me, uh, and I'm assuming these death threats maybe have come for, from people who would even claim faith, right? And uh, Oh, yeah. I think this, They're always in the name of God. Yeah. This, this conversation is so needed, and I, obviously, we're, you know, we're in California, Brave Makers in California, and... Sometimes I forget, like, there's still the need for these types of conversations because I can just write off, well, California is so open and free and, and there's liberal, but there's still so many pockets within the church that would share those same type of, you know, sentiments. Like, I didn't know this could happen to a couple or a family that prayed for their children or why is this, you know, this and this and that. So uh, I'm grateful that we get to be able to have these conversations. You know, for me, candidly, my, my wife and I have three daughters and this conversation has changed the way, and I'm still trying to figure out how to raise kids in this <laughs> space as they're figuring out sexual identity. You know, I have a eight, ten, and twelve year old, and I find myself, uh, like I'm sure many hetero parents, saying things that are harm that could be harmful, even in the most well intentioned ways. Like, you know, uh, a, a person asked me one time, "Does your daughter have a boyfriend yet?" You know, and I said, and I said no, and then it made me think like th- that assumption of my daughter having a boyfriend, you know, makes it seem like that's what the normal is. But how do I frame that question in a way that makes it safe for my daughter if she's gay to be able to have that conversation with me? And so, in some small way, I want you to know, like your film has started to make me think about that because both of your <laughs> films deal with parents raising kids, and that, right. in a lot of ways, children. Uh, let alone LGBT, LGBT children, are some of the most vulnerable people in society. 
And so I'm hoping that this, for, for, for my community that we're bringing your film to, can actually spark some conversations uh, for families uh, to be healthy, to not harm their kids with just simple things like, you know, do you have a boyfriend or do you have a girlfriend? Because those things, I think, tell us stories in our heads. So I don't know if you have any thoughts on that, but because you're directing your, your film so much on raising kids, I wondered if that's helping change the narrative in, in parenting in, in any way. Yeah, well, it's definitely uh, very purposeful that my films are about the parents uh, and not necessarily the LGBTQ kid. They're, they're, the kids are all in the movie, and in, in, in a couple cases, they become really huge parts of the film. Um, but it's always about the parents because, you know, the one thing about being gay, lesbian, bisexual, or transgender is, you know, when you're when you're a different race, when you're a minority, a racial minority, everyone in your family generally is that same race, at least. Mm-hmm. Um, but when you're gay, you're generally the only one, uh, and it's not readily available, gay or trans or bisexual, whatever it is. So it's a much, it's a very different thing to be in a family of all people who are not you. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I think for me, uh, just your awareness that you just verbalized is a huge step forward for your daughters. Uh, just having an awareness that there are these assumptions and givens that don't necessarily apply to all kids makes you a hundred percent better parent just because you know that, and you may say things that, uh, ultimately could make a child uh, who is realizing they're lesbian uh, think twice, but you're definitely not going to be that dad that, that, that slurs lesbians or slurs right. transgender people. Um, you know, I think that the big goal for all of us as humans is to understand that there is no other. Uh, for me, that's what Jesus was all about, was embracing the other and, and not uh, not turning his back on anyone. Uh, so for me, that's why I chose these parents, all of whom, when they first heard about their children, were horrified and devastated. But for the most part, they've all come along a journey to realize that these are this is their children. Uh, and if, if my films are about anything, it's about family. They're about, this is what it means to be family to every family is going to have challenges. Every parent is going to make mistakes unwittingly or knowingly, but mostly unwittingly. But the real point is to move forward in love and try to stay with love all the way through. So it sounds to me like that's totally who you are. We don't know each other that well yet, but just my conversation with you after the movie uh, in San Francisco. Sorry, that's my my clock. Um, and and how we've talked on email. I think if you can move forward with love, which is of course the real Christian message, message, then uh, I think your kids are going to be great, and your your time as a father is going to be amazing. I'm sure. I'm sure you're a great dad. No uh, doubt. Uh, thanks, Daniel. Uh, yeah, I, I need things conversations like this. Parenting is hard. In every single way. And then you add all these other layers of complexity and nuance. It's like, ooh, uh, thank you. Uh, so one last question. So as a, as a pastor, you know, from I got my pastor hat, I got my filmmaker film fest, you know, hat. 
as a pastor, a lot of the pushback that uh, I receive about trying to have these types of conversations is around uh, politicizing, you know, the issue. Uh, I have people who would say, you know, keep politics out of the church. Just give us Jesus. Just tell us about the Bible. Just tell us how to love. And I sometimes feel a little bit uh, flustered with that response because I I think Jesus was political in a lot of ways. Um, and at the same time, these conversations yeah. aren't just political. They're, they're human. Uh, so, right. so, so how do you respond to someone who says, well, you know, if you're a Christian, stop making everything political or how do you, you know, do you mix up just anything you can say about that? Cause I think some listeners who might, um, be interested to come feel that tension with, I've even heard people say like, keep the church and the state separate, right? Like how, how do you navigate that? Right. Well, I, and I totally get that. I grew up in that church, uh, where, uh, Preachers weren't really even allowed to talk politically. Uh, that has changed hugely in the last uh, 10 years, but especially in the last four and, you know, three. Uh, the, the evangelical church has made a very clear decision to jump wholeheartedly into the political arena. And unfortunately, that has made this so much more of a political issue. That's kind of why I make my films to sort of humanize who these people are, uh, both the parents, but also the LGBTQ kids, uh, because uh, evangelicals have have made the decision and the current president has given them the right now to be political from the pulpit. Uh, and what, what my aim is to do uh, is to humanize these people and make it okay um, and make it not okay, but make people understand that these are just people, you know, the trans couple in my film fall in love and then Andy dies quickly of, of cancer. People fall in love of all kinds. Trans people fall in love. Parents of trans people want to walk their child down the aisle. You know, um, it's, it's just about humanizing. Yeah, that's good. Thank you. I think, yeah, in its simplest form, that's what stories are supposed to do. They're supposed to connect us, right? Stories help us understand each other. And uh, that's why I think it's so powerful, the, the films that we can all watch and then talk about sometimes are just as worshipful, just as meaningful, just as significant as the things we hope that happen in a building on Sunday with a cross on it, right? So right. thank you right. for, I, you know, your films are obviously very intentional, about intersecting faith and religion with uh, human sexuality and gender uh, formation. I think it's a really necessary story that we need for this time. So I'm looking forward to sharing it. So thank you so much. So if you're listening to this podcast, we are screening it twice with Brave Maker. We have a screening in Nevada, California on October 15th, and that is a Tuesday night. Then we're coming to Redwood City, California on the 16th in uh, downtown Redwood City, uh, Wednesday night at 7 p.m. So we'll put all those links in the show notes. But Daniel, is there anything else you want to say to people who might be wondering more about your work or about these films and why they should come check it out? You're going to be there for one, which is important. I will be there. I'm really looking forward to uh, coming back to the Bay Area. I love the Bay Area so much. Uh, so I feel very grateful that I'll be there. I look forward to having the conversation that we have after the film in both locations. I'm hoping that there'll be time to do that. 
And um, yeah, I just uh, I just really welcome uh, those talkbacks and the Q and A's because that's where the real I think healing also can happen. Um, and I think for people who are who veer more toward the conservative side of this issue, all I can say is please come and just watch the film. You won't feel assaulted. You won't feel abused. You won't feel put down. I don't think that's not my goal. My goal is to understand uh, where people come from. There's an incredibly, a couple incredibly conservative couples in this film, uh, and they are still very faithful, very much in their in their faith. These aren't people who left their religion. So just come and have the conversation, and we can take it from there. That's what I would say. Awesome. Thank you so much. And and listeners, we do have an, if you've never been to a Brave Maker screening, some film fests do like 10 minutes after the film. We do a good 30 to 40 minutes of chatting after the film, and we usually invite someone to sit with Daniel, the filmmaker who's in this space, a trans person or a family who's raising an LGBT kid, uh, a person of faith who's wrestling through these issues. So they're really engaging, and one of the, my most looked forward to times of uh, of being in the Brave Maker community is talking to the creator and then engaging with the people afterwards. So come check it out. All those links are in the show notes. Daniel, thanks so much for being on the podcast with us today. I really appreciate it. Sure, my pleasure. I can't wait to see you guys in a couple weeks. Where can people find you on social media? Uh, our Facebook page, just go onto Facebook and search for For They Know Not What They Do. Our website is ForTheyKnow.org. Uh, I don't remember our Twitter handle. I will let you know that. Okay. Put it in the show, It'll in be the show in notes. The, okay, awesome. I'm also on, we're also on Instagram. Cool. All in the show notes. Thanks, Daniel. Brave Maker is a 501c3 nonprofit organization. Our work is funded by generous patrons like you. Support the podcast with a tax-deductible donation at bravemaker.com. Thanks for listening to the Brave Maker podcast. Subscribe, give us a rating, and share with a friend.